You are now tuned are now in tuned to in the December, December 26th, 26th podcast, podcast, where we encourage, where we encourage you, you to be extraordinary, to be extraordinary, extraordinary on, an ordinary on an ordinary day. Hey, 26er family, welcome to another episode of the December 26er podcast. I am your host, Delisha, and we are back with another installment of our limited series, The Check-In. This week, we're circling back with our guest who first appeared on episode 30 of the show, Tyrone Ross Jr. Tyrone's episode remains our most popular to date. It not only solidified much of our mission here at December 26er, but it also put Tyrone on a new professional and personal journey. He now serves as CEO of OnRamp Invest, a digital native platform for the next generation advisor. And he's also the founder of 401, a storytelling consultancy that's taken on a life of its own. And those developments represent only a small glimpse into how much his life has changed since we first met in 2018. But I'll let him fill in all the details. So please enjoy. Tyrone, welcome back to the December 26th podcast. How are you? I am well. Thank you again for having me. I'm excited for this catch up. A lot has happened. Listen, so much has happened. Obviously, you and I have spoken offline multiple times since you appeared on the show. Um, But I think your life really transitioned in a way that I don't know any other that any other guests have since having appeared on the show. Um, So I'm, I'm looking forward to you telling our audience how things have evolved for you. So let's start here. Right. Yeah. You were episode 30. That was your original appearance on the show. Yeah. If people go back and listen to that episode, which I highly suggest they do if they haven't, they will see that we had no connection, no personal connection to you prior to you coming mm-hmm. on the show. It was a cold reach. You came on and I had every intention of talking to you about the financial industry, uh, crypto, crypto, all this stuff. And then yeah. it just went in another direction. Right. Yeah. But I remember leaving that interview and this is back when we would do one interview like in the evening after people Mm -hmm. got off work just rent a space and do it and i remember standing on the corner i believe it was 30 i want to say 34th street and fifth avenue in new york i'll never forget this and i turned to demarcus and i said i think this episode is something special and I just, I think it's going to take a life of its own. That was it. We we were so early in the show, you know, we didn't really have a huge listenership, but I just felt it in mm. my spirit that it was really something special. And sure enough, to date, that is our most popular episode. So yeah. let me ask you, walking out of that interview, what did you think? I cried all the way to Penn Station. Like I, mm. I was, I was emotional. Um, and it's funny, I, I and I don't say this lighthearted, like that episode changed my life and we'll get into why. And again, it's, what's funny about it is, is that I didn't know y'all from a can of paint. You didn't know me. And that was a, it, it was just a moment where I felt like I had to get so much stuff off of me. And, but I, I just remember I cried all the way back and I said it, I got, I was on a train home and I'm like, I don't know what happened just now, but I know that I got, I I freed myself, but I feel like I'm going to free other people. And I just, again, I, I, there was this release that I think needed to happen. And again, for me to walk into where I am right now. And I believe what, how long ago was that? I don't even, what, three years now, two, I don't even remember. That's what's crazy. Yeah. It's, it's been probably two and a half years, somewhere in there. Crazy. And so, yeah, I just, I, I literally was just, I was overcome with emotion Um, and it wasn't like bad tears, but it was just like, I had to get so much out of my system 
and let so many things go. And what I think was the, the old me was dying. And I think that's what it was. And, and it was this, this rebirth that had to happen. And I had to start to let certain parts of my life go. And I think that's what I did in that episode. So I remember the episode dropped. People were texting me the day, like release day. Like, who is this guy? What happened? You know, this is amazing. I- I'm, I'm touched by the episode. He's out of here. The show's out of here. Like, this is, yeah. this is something big. And then I remember when the financial services industry started picking it up. So blogs, people were tweeting about it. We were being tagged all over the place. Wait, and no. I think that shocked me because I expected like brothers to resonate with it. Like our community, brown, black folks to say, wow, this is something special. And how do you reconcile having a vision for your life that doesn't manifest in the way that you hope, hoped and prayed that it would? What I did not expect was for Wall Street to really latch onto it, right? And really promote that level of vulnerability. So how did your life change in the, week, in the wake of that episode, really turning into lightning in a bottle? Well, I tell you this, here's what's crazy about it. And I couldn't wait to tell you this. So my co-founder that I'm starting on ramp with now, he was sent the episode, listened to it, was crushed because of his, how he grew up and everything else. And he reached out and was just like, this is amazing, whatever. I, I, again, I don't know how many people, I was just saying thank you to everybody as they DM me. And we just kind of struck up this friendship, but you know, friendship through social media wasn't anything crazy, but now we're actually building a company together. Like it's crazy. So that was one part of it, but I had literally, that episode, I had, I've had dinner with two billionaires. I've probably spoken with more, like I, it, it opened doors, right. And, and it gave me favor with people, which is greater than any degree or any amount of money or any title favor with people is incredible. And I think the fact that I was vulnerable and I finally told my story was one of those things. I got so many messages from people that were like, I went through this and I went through that. There was a three week period there where I remember sending you some of the stuff like I just couldn't. And then eventually I just stopped because I was like and I just pinned the tweet now and it's still pinned. It's the, if you go to my page, it's pinned. It's still there. And people still pick it up, still still listen to it and people still go back and listen to it. So I wasn't ready at all. I mean, Jim O'Shaughnessy. Uh, I mean, all these, if you know some of these names of people that got a hold of that podcast that are like uber wealthy, super connected people. And it was just like, come have lunch with me. I want to hear this in person. Like this should be a book. This should be whatever. So I wasn't ready for it either. And I, and I know one of the things that in financial services, as you know, is this guarded veil of I'm invincible, right? And showing vulnerability is like, no, don't do that. And the fact that I did just, again, it it just kicked open all these doors that I had fought to get open, right? The way they told me they would open. But the minute I just decided to be myself, everything opened up. I mean, again, I I can't even walk through it all, but, you know, opportunities to speak, um, podcasts, like television stuff, like you saw it, but it just, it just went crazy. And then it just, it allowed, once that happened, I was in the door and it was like, oh, he talks about crypto. He cares about financial education. He, you know, and so, you know, that was, that was kind of it, but it literally just, it just left. It took on a life of its own, like you said. And then for you guys as well. Um, and then even people were commenting about 
you they're like has she been huh, is, is that what she does for a living she's so good at it and she got you to open up and whatever so again and it's like you kind of came into your own as well with that so i think so many things happened that day it was incredible yeah and i think going into it you know we had this premise for the show that all we wanted to do was highlight black, black and brown folks and some allies who really are blazing trails in their perspective industries and we're going to be candid about their journey what I did not expect is for this show to be a conduit specifically for men to open yeah. up in that way. And, yeah. and you really set that off. And, and it's happened now several times on the show where especially men, all of our guests really, but especially men feel like it's a safe space to expose themselves in yeah. a way that really hasn't happened before, which for me feels a lot like what I was called to do. And I, I didn't come into this with that understanding, right? This was a passion project. You know that something yeah. we were just doing on the side and now yeah. realizing that this is a part of my life's work and, and that I think from a cultural perspective, when you add layers of specific industry like financial services on it, and then also the cultural pressure we feel to be yeah. smooth on the surface, mm-hmm. but paddling like hell underneath, um, to be able to stand up and say, this is what I've been through. This is how it affected me. This is how it's continued to affect me. This yeah. is how it's broken me on, in some ways, goes against everything that we've been conditioned to believe and conditioned mm-hmm. to do. Um, but there's so much freedom in that. And the point that you made about how all these doors flung open the minute you were just yourself, yep. that I think also too is not intuitive for us. Uh, mm. But there's such a, a powerful message there about what's possible when you really settle into your purpose and the parts of it that feel uncomfortable as well. Yeah. And answer, and again, it's, we, it, it's answering the call. There's a call on everybody's life and it's whether you want to answer it or not. And I wasn't answering it. I felt like I was supposed to be an Olympian or I was supposed to be a million dollar producer at Merrill Lynch or all these other things. And sometimes your life, I've been using this term a lot recently, is broken people heal the world. Sometimes you have to be broken. So the release, right? And that anointing in your life comes out. And now you just, you know what, God, I'm answering the call. What do you want me to do? I tried, right? And, and, and that's really what it was. And when I did that, you don't want for nothing. You don't want for favor. You don't want for opportunity, whatever. Like, just be what I called you to be and then watch what happens, right? And, and I think that's one of the things I was called to be was an example of all of that brokenness, right? And especially as a Black man to admit, yeah, I was raped, right? To admit, yeah, I struggle with my mental capacity and and used all these phrases and was like, nope, it's mental illness, right? I think about death way too often, right? Like, and, and then also be able to say, well, I have that stigma of not wanting to go to therapy, right? And then all of these things that it was like, well, true to me, right? And, and then what I got so many messages from and, and from so many women who were like, I let my husband listen to this or my boyfriend who was an athlete to transition. And my friend said it to me, and he was like, Tyrone, somewhere, he's like, you'll probably be dead and gone or whatever, but there's going to be a book written about from your transition from that to where you are now, because it'll be the model of how athletes should transition through that. So there were so many layers to it of identifying of your life so long we do to black boys if they show any athletic prowess. But when they show intellectual capacity, mm, I don't know, right? If he's tall, he's not a CEO, he's a point guard for Kentucky right? He's not a CEO. So, and then what happens is these things, and I see it now as the leader of a company and being the face of a company and having to raise capital, 
and I get on these calls and they don't expect to see me, you'll never have your physical prowess challenged as a black man by anybody. But oh, when you show intelligence, <laughs> they're like, wait a minute. They'll challenge you every day that ends in a Y. So I think all of these things that I had to let go of and embrace, and it's so cool to see so many episodes of, of your podcast where black men have done it. And so many, so many men are starting to do that and crying and being okay with that. And that vulnerability is strength and understanding the weaknesses, right? We're here a couple of days after, you know, DMX passed. One of the pet tattoos that I have is because of him, right? The beginning of slipping, to live is to suffer, to survive is to find meaning in suffering. I thought that was suffering when I was going through it 19 years old, getting kicked out of Georgia Tech and everything else. But it's like, yeah, you know what I mean? Like there was a lot more suffering to come. So I just feel like for me, it was an example to my mentees. Now I have three nephews since that episode, right? I have three great nephews. Like I need to be example of them, of what a man is and a black man. I mean, just a really good individual. So I think that was the start of that. And it's just really cool to see that if it started with me or ended with me, doesn't matter. But to see it and see so many men realize we got to start breaking those shackles um, and really heal. I, I, I realized how hard it was for me and, and still doing it. I would hope everybody finds that peace. Absolutely. And you so you were in a specific job and on a bit of a career path when you came on the show. And I remember you popping up everywhere, like like you said, television, speaking engagements, like all over the place. And Demarcus and I were incredibly excited for you, right? In the way that your your persona was really being elevated in your personal brand. Did you have was there one moment, like a light bulb moment, where you said, "Hmm, this it may be time for a career transition," or did that happen slowly over time? I think it. it- again, it, it was forced. So when I was with, when, when I was on, I had just, it probably was a year or two out of leaving Merrill and independent and uh, which registered investment advisor, which is not like your Merrill's Morgan's, whatever, for the folks to understand that. So I was a financial advisor and I had a partner and me and him were just starting to build this thing. And I had started to see Again, started to lean into my gift of speaking and communicating and using media, especially video. I started these things, walking talks on Twitter. Like I really started to lean into that. And we fell out and we and we separated. And it was again, we didn't fight anything like that, but it was it, it didn't end well. And this was July of 2019. And again, it was it was it was it was, it was rough. It was really rough because I took I left a good career at Merrill. I risked everything to go independent, took a big step back. I'm like, oh, it's going to be the thing. Right. And now I'm an owner and I'm an entrepreneur and er, came to a screeching, screeching halt. And I remember I had to go down to Charlotte to speak. My friend and his wife were their pastors and they, they brought me down to speak at this conference. Now, mind you, all hell is breaking loose in my life. I fly down to this conference. And I get down there and, you know, I, um, I speak again, got emotional because it was just, I was, I was talking about so many different things and incredible response from the crowd and so many people after. And again, it was just this weird sequence of events that I won't go into now. It'll be way too long, but just, just these weird things happening now, looking back and they prayed for me before I left flight got delayed. I had to stay and, and came back from the time that plane landed. When I got back, 
my life just it cracked open. I get a I get a call, you know, an email. Hey, I see the some of the podcast host. I'm like, I don't want to host a podcast. <laughs> I don't want to be Delicia, a podcast host. So I'm like, ah, I ignore it. And then I finally respond, like, you know, oh, our CEO, you know, thinks you'd be great to host a podcast. He's been seeing your walking talks on Twitter. And I'm like, I don't know. It's like, we'll just have a conversation. Have a conversation. They're like, all right, well, cool. Like, we're out in LA. I'm like, I hate to fly. <laughs> like, can you fly out here? I'm like, oh my goodness, that becomes the Human Advisor podcast. So I did not want to host a podcast, but then that, you know, that happens. And then it just started to spiral from there. And then, you know, but again, it was God's plan because I hosted that. Now the CEO of Altruist, me and him are really cl- close. I'm an investor in, in Altruist. He's an investor in OnRamp. OnRamp and Altruist are doing business together. Like it was just one of those things where, it just all started to happen. And next thing I know, again, I'm getting over one of my major fears, which is flying. Cause I was flying all over the country, literally more than I'd ever flown in my life, conference to conference to stay. Like I was flying all over the place for everything. And then this other opportunity, now I'm on Bloomberg, live television, Bloomberg interview. And they're like, the first time I'm about to be on live TV, we're about to go live. They're like, oh, we're scrapping everything. Trump is doing something. So Trump does a thing then they come back and it's like, <laughs> your first time doing live TV. So yeah, it was just, it was just all of these things started to happen. So I didn't plan it. It was just, again, the pivot that just happened. But then I started to lean into it. I was like, okay, this is where I'm supposed to be. And again, I know we're going to get to this and things were really leading up, right? Just all this build up and things were contracts. And I started 401, my company, which I wanted to be something else. But I forced it to be, you know, my own, you know, investment firm. And everyone was like, I don't know. And then some people were like, and then it didn't work out. So that became, you know, my, my storytelling consultancy now, which is going nuts. I didn't plan for that, but that's just what it was. And um, I had all of I, this, this big break was supposed to be May of last year. I was supposed to MC the biggest crypto conference in the world. Midtown Manhattan, prime time. I'm in New York City when I get the message. The world is melting down because of COVID. It's canceled. <laughs> I mean, and everything else. So now I build up this, you know, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm counting on this money and all these contracts, contracts, right? right. And all you entrepreneurs out there, you solopreneurs, you get it. When them contracts start going away. And it was just like, oh my gosh, here we go, right? And again, it was a setback to get even, you know, to go even higher um, where I am right now. So yeah, there was, there was no method to it. I just kind of, I leaned into the fact that it was kind of like, all right, God, I see what you're saying. Bet on myself, right? Like you, you don't need a partner, bet on yourself, just do it, just go. And again, thanks to really strong, powerful black women, starting with my mother, my CPA, lawyers, <laughs> you, like, you know what I mean? It was just, you know, my CPA was like, no, Tyrone, just, I'm going to help you with the LLC. We'll get all that stuff straight. And, you know, the attorneys that I know and the IP attorneys and all, you know what I mean? And next thing I know, it, it was just off for running and it was just multiple streams of income and all these opportunities and all these things. So I just kind of leaned into it, but there was never any point where I was like, oh, I need to go that way. It was just kind of like I was forced to. And again, I just think it was this evolution of that. I'll end by saying this. 
I haven't spoken to my old partner since, but if I see him again, I will, I'm in and no condescending condescension whatsoever. Thank you. Cause you pushed me into my destiny. Like you forced me to grow and, and figure it out for myself and do everything that I'm doing now. Um, and it's so funny. And you know, this is like, sometimes you, things you fought so hard for and you really want it. Like when you look back now, somebody wanted to give you those same things. You'd be like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> like, No, thank you. I don't even want it no more. Like, I don't even know why I was trying to do that. So yeah, it was just, it was a, it was a very unique pivot. But again, I had just given, I'd given my life away. I was just like, you know what? Legacy over resume. I'm, I'm done with the resume stuff. I just need to start leaving an impact. And you know, the beauty of this show something that I've definitely gleaned from is having this network of Black professionals to really bounce ideas off of when you're thinking about a shift. So you and I, we spoke prior to the launch of 401, right? So I knew I knew you were working on that. And you and I had a very honest conversation. You knew where I was, like what my transition plan was. And, and this is something I, I think needs to happen more. People being honest about like numbers, like here's the money that I make. Here's the money I'm yeah. hoping to make. Um, yeah. And being able to have very candid exchanges about that because it's an uplift for all of us, right? So I remember having those conversations with you. I have since gone through a career transition. I talked mm-hmm. to you about yeah. what to do and I was on one path and it was like heading towards crypto. And then I took a hard right in another direction unexpectedly. Um, And similarly, I think when I made the switch, I was like, this feels right, but this is new territory. And now in hindsight, I'm like, if I would have stayed, like if somebody would have given me what I had before, they offered that right now, no way, right? Um, But also I remember when OnRamp, when the press release came out for OnRamp, and I was like, but wait though, like we had this whole conversation (laughs) about this other thing, yeah. Now it's this great entity that exists and mm-hmm. all right, Tyrone's on to the next thing, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you relocated, you left yeah. the East Coast as well. Mm-hmm. So all this life change that happened, but how did OnRamp specifically come about? So again, let's go back to that time period, right? Right around 2018, I visited here because um, my godson is here and my and one of my best friends from high school and I just come to visit. And again, my co-founder and actually where the on-ramp offices are now, they were, they were like, can you come by? Cause I built up this, you know, um, reputation as the crypto advisor. And he heard the podcast and everything. He's like, we would love to meet you. Come by our office. We want to interview her about how you work with clients who own crypto. I'm like, all right, cool. Went by the office. It was awesome. Bunch of smart folks. And in San Diego, it was beautiful. And at that moment, I didn't know that they had me pegged as the CEO of this company. Now, what's interesting is it was supposed to be a retail company. Here's what's interesting, right? When they say, right, you know, um, God will give you vineyards, you didn't grow. And so the company that OnRant was kind of birthed and it went through some trouble. OnRant was on ice, dusted. It was just an idea. And he calls June and I'm like, Life is good right now, man. I'm good. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't need no other, you know, he's like, no, this is not just any other opportunity. He was like, well, before that, he asked me to join the board of a company that he was on. So we made the board announcement and he was like, well, I kind of got bigger plans. He was like, I feel like, you know, we got this on ramp thing, whatever. I'm like, man, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm working on something now. He's like, no, we want you to be the CEO and we'll spin it out and we'll have, you know, and I'm like, okay. 
And at that point, again, and what happened for me during COVID, that March, again, where everything kind of went left and I was looking at everything that was going on. I'm like, you know what? I see what's happening here. This is why I learned to money was birthed. If I'm going to really be the change I want to see, I have to be in positions of power to, to determine where the money goes and what decisions get made and what gets made and how it gets there. And I kind of looked at my life and I'm like, I got the connections. I got the money. I got the title. I got all the... I'm going to start to use all of my social capital to start to invoke the change that I want to see. And I'm like, if I know nothing about financial services, ooh, do they love a title. Man, they love a title. You ain't got to be good at it. You ain't got to know. If you got the title, baby, they listen. Absolutely. Okay. And I was like, and that wasn't because I said yes, but I realized in the moment, I'm like, even if this fails, CEO next to my name is going to open up a lot of doors for me to fight for the people that I'm fighting for and to make a lot of room. And I know black men don't get funded. And I know black men don't become the cover of Forbes, this, that, whatever. I'm like, all right, I'm again, thank you, God, for the opportunity. I'm going to take it. And that's what happened in, in August, I, I, August 3rd, actually, the day after my birthday. And we spun it out and now it's on Ramp Invest, right? Which we're building again. But um, integrations for financial advisors, right? Inside of their existing workflow to just get them connections to the crypto economy. So that's kind of how it came about. And I had, I had been wanting to move to San Diego anyway. And I was going to move in March last year. COVID hit. It's not even something else. So I couldn't move. And then when this came... I was like, all right, I'll get out there at some point. You can't be a remote CEO, not when you're starting and building a startup. And November came, and this past November, we got the first 30-degree day, and I said, here it comes. I'm out. Literally, a backpack, <laughs> my backpack, and a carry-on, and I got the hell on. I left. Like, and, and I said, <laughs> literally, I left. I, everybody laughs to this day. I had no furniture in here. You can still see it's kind of, it's like cocaine white in here. Like I'm smuggling <laughs> bricks because <laughs> I still need to, de- still need to decorate. But I, I just, and everybody laughed. I'm like, I'm out. I'm no, I know what's coming. I'm, I'm, I'm opting out of winter. And that was it. Yeah. I've been here. I've been here ever since. You know, what's funny is like you made the move like somebody in the entertainment business, like actors, <laughs> you know, people who really want to break into show business leave yeah. for either they leave for New York or leave for L.A. with a backpack and a carry on. Not That's a exactly CEO right. of, a, of a startup <laughs> organization. It's <laughs> exactly what I did. I was like, I saw you taking. I'm like, yeah, I'm good. Like I left it. I mean, where I lived, I left it full. Like I was like, I'm out. And, and that was it. And I saw the winter y'all had. And I was like, ah, best investment I made after Bitcoin right there. Yeah, don't don't rub it in. Please don't rub it in. We, we're still waiting for it to fully warm up here. Man. Sorry. But anyway, so you, you mentioned about Black men and, and funding. We know the numbers, right? Like VC capital and, and Black-led startups. I think for years it's hovered around 1%. Uh, it, it may have jumped a little tiny bit, but nothing noteworthy. So coming into this, were you cognizant of the challenges that you were going to have, just even from an optics perspective of being a, a Black CEO? And I know the, the answer to the first part of that question, but more importantly, what was the emotion around 
being a black CEO, having to have these conversations with people who don't look like you. You know what, Delisha, I'll be completely honest for as much. I've been called a nigger more than I can remember. I've been told, you know, you got to change your name from Tyrone to Tyler. And again, right. Kendrick Lamar said it right. I'm blacker than the name Tyrone and Darius. I can't hide. Right. So Mm -hmm. you know what you're getting before I get on the Zoom. And I experienced some horrible racism in financial services and just in my life in general. I can't even begin to explain. It's one thing if you, if I know what you want to call me and you never do it, if you just say it, I know, all right. But if you treat me less than, I was not prepared for the condescending remarks, the looking past me because my, you know, my co-founder is white. All of these different things that have happened. And here's what's most hurtful. You could believe it. The companies that are in venture firms that are supposedly to invest in diverse founders. <laughs> oh, that's a whole other episode. They are the worst offenders because, oh, we, we invest in the founder and we invest in the story. And then it's you talking past me and they want to. Oh, you treat me like the I'm the token Negro to y'all, too. So I couldn't believe. And I'll give you a perfect example. One of the things I will say again and pair this with the first part of your question, which you knew the answer to. Yes, I had been in the startup space mm, roughly four years before this. Right. Advising early stage. Founders. So I know it like I, I, I'm very well versed in it. And. They don't expect that. So when you show that, it's threatening. Then when you actually get introductions from powerful white males because they're friends of mine or whatever, there's a choice to be made because the privilege that I have that I'm connected to these dudes because some of the black founders that I work with in the young black men can't even get an intro to be told no. Mm. Give you a real life example. I get an intro to a very big venture firm. It's the intro from a very successful founder. Then you just raise a $350 million round. Get the intro. And all of these intros now, I'm forced to look at the firm. I don't see a lick of anybody that remotely had a tan. So I'd say, I thank, <laughs> I thank them for the intro. I said, I'm really not comfortable taking this meeting unless... I can get some confirmation that you've invested in someone black and a black male because the default is a black, a black male. So there was this pause and then there was a response. Well, you, you know, thank you for bringing that up. We're working very hard or whatever. Then they hit me with the, the document that had like all of the people on the peripheral, the black men that they were working with to make sure that. They started to be diverse and we can get them on a call or whatever. Why didn't you send me that first? You sent me the tear sheet of your company that had nobody that looked like me. But the minute I bring it up, now you want to send me the other tear sheet with the black dudes that advising your firm. You know what I'm saying? And we had an open and honest dialogue. And I told him, I said, look, I know I'm privileged to have gotten an intro to you. I'm also privileged in the fact that I really don't need your money so I can say what I'm about to say. There are so many black men that will never even get an opportunity to be told no by you. So whether you invest in me or not, I have a responsibility to make sure that you guys realize that there are so many talented black men, black women who just want an opportunity to talk to you. 
they just want to talk to you guys. And I know you got the little committees with the black people that's supposed to get y'all to the HBCUs and y'all still learning all of them. But I'm like, we really need to do a better job. So you, why didn't you send me that first? You didn't feel comfortable sending me that first. And, and they apologized and they were apologetic. So, you know, it's, it's just been it's been a rough ride. But again, I, what I realized, again, to that point, I'm very lucky, blessed, abundantly privileged because I got so many outlets and such a tailwind that a lot of black men and black founders don't have. So I go into all these meetings now saying, how do I kick the door down? How do I leave it open? And I, yeah, I got to take some of the bullets and I have to take some of the things that come at me. But I'll be completely honest with you. I was not prepared for some of the condescension. And you realize how hard it is for black men, because, again, they just don't expect us to be smart. And everything, all of our compliments are EQ. Oh, Tyrone's a great leader, passionate. He's strong. He's athletic, former, but they won't say nothing that has to do it up here. And they don't think I notice it. And I, and sometimes I have to say it, you know, oh, he's so persuasive. What does that mean? Persuasive. Now, again, it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily have to be a, a, a negative connotation, but how are they looking at it when they look at me? saying, oh, well, he's a slickster. Watch him, right? Mm. As opposed to you saying it about somebody else. So I've really had to, I'd kind of let that guard down for a while, but I had to turn it back up because you realize how racist, and it's just the truth, Silicon Valley is. And they talk around it and talk about it. And some firms are doing a a good job. And I don't want to make it seem like it's all of it, but it's that way for a reason. (laughs) They want it that way. They can fix it. But they want it that way. And there are two jobs that exist when you navigate this world. It's the job that you're paid to do. And it's all the work that you have to do to respond in an appropriate manner to that aggression, to the racism. Because I'm at a point, you know, in my career, and I'm sure you could say the same, which the story you told is a prime example of that, where you're not going to let it slide. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's trying to navigate and toe that line in a way where the messaging can be perceived and received without you coming across as too aggressive. So it's when the day is over at the close of business, you feel like you've really been walking in two roles, the role of CEO and then the role of a black man Mm -hmm. calling people out and speaking truth to power as well. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And and it's it's a tremendous responsibility, but it's exhausting, man. And and what's crazy is the fight you got to go through to get here. You know what I mean? And, 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 Again, it's like, and, and, I, and I, I hated that it was this, you know, this thing now between black men and black women or whatever. And I've been telling black men, I'm like, yeah, we have to listen. Black women in terms of starting businesses, degrees, we've been through this, right? We need to start upholding our end of the bargain. But again, just imagine we have one privilege of being men. So if we match that aggression with aggression, yeah, we probably angry black men, but we can stand up for ourselves. Now, imagine being a black woman conference room table full of white men and they looking for you for something and you adamant about it. You are absolutely correct. And they're like, nah, nope. Cause it came from you, but they empowered you to be in that situation. Right. So there's just, there's, there's these things where, again, I think what blackness entails in corporate America. And then when you scale to all of these really niche facets of finance and capital markets, along with gender and culture, which is crazy. Mm -hmm. How I wear my hair, my name, 
pronunciation of my name, saying it the right way. But you know how many times they Tyrone, T-Y-R-O-N-N, T-Y-R-O-N-N-E, Tyron. It's Tyrone, man. Like what, you know what I mean? And it's not, you know what I mean? Like, so it's all of these, these aspects of it that makes it so difficult, you know, to navigate. And it's exhausting. It really is. But what, what I've learned is if you don't call it out, it just, you realize that why it's lasted this long. Cause there were people in that position who's just like, all right, well, I'm, a, I'm worried about me. I got right. here. I'm worried about me. Is you know what I mean? And some of us can't, we, we were not afforded that luxury, you know? Um, and, and again, thank God for the journey that he's brought me on because I have leverage and I plan to use the leverage a lot. <laughs> like I'm just not like, I'm going to use it a lot, you know? And when you come with a voice, then they know, all right, well, he can go out and say, like, I have a lot of venues, a couple podcasts. I got, you know, like I can go on and I can control a narrative. And that's important when you want to speak to certain things. So yeah, it's, it's, it's exhausting. Um, and, and it's a, it's a duality that I had to walk for a long time, but I didn't realize that even with, right. Is, is, in, you know, we won't say it with Jay-Z had the line, right. Still, right. Like you can be a CEO, you can be a billionaire. You're still at, and that's how they, that's how some of them look at you. So, you know, I just try and make sure that, I'm like, you know what? I have to make sure that my nephews, when they get this opportunity, don't have to go through what I'm going through now, right? And and they they have an easier walk, right? Um, which they will because of me. Lucky, they so lucky. I'm jealous of them. But but you know, I just I think about that a lot as as you and you as well, right? We just have a responsibility for for you know to crack doors open and make sure that you know more, more of us get opportunities like that. So so you alluded to learn to money. Talk a little bit more about that. So during COVID, uh, May, actually, I saw all of the companies with the black fists and they blacking out and everybody was, oh, 250 million for this. And I said, okay, well, where's this money going to go? Still trying to find out, by the way. Um, and, uh, and I'll tell you why, because I have a real life story. So I tweet, I said, you know what? tired of this whole, everybody, all of a sudden financial education and everything I do with the black community matters. I said, here's what we need. We need a show that is about the basics of money that is easy to watch, like reality TV. I forget what I put in the tweet. And I get a message like a half hour later and from one of the co-creators now. And he was like, are you serious about doing this? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, okay. Let me talk to my partner. So these guys do, um, what's the show on MTV? Golly, they do some big show on MTV and PBS. They've done a bunch of stuff, but they're like, really, they, you know, social justice type stuff they wanted to do. So I was like, well, look, I want to control it. I don't want nobody can control the narrative. So if we do it, we need to own it. And they're like, all right, bet. So I'm like, what, what will it take to shoot a trailer or whatever? So let me know how much. So they let me know. And two weeks later, we're in Newark shooting the trailer. And we scribbled it up really quickly and literally put it out and it went nuts, <laughs> like absolutely bonkers. Like I could not control it. And we were like, "Uh oh, so now what? So we decided like what did the next step was. So we decided to do a GoFundMe with it to just do the pilot episode, which was just released. And we raised like $45,000 or something in like two days. It was just, it was crazy. So 
we get the, you know, we get the money in. And then I want to say it was July or so we shot the pilot, which was just released and added animation and the curriculum and all these other things. So for those wondering, Learn the Money is just a series that we created to get into schools, which is five to seven minute videos of the basics, basics, basics of money and finance and stocks and bonds and all these other things. And again, the goal is to get into schools, pair with curriculum and everything else. So we shot the pilot in Brooklyn a couple months later and it added graphics and everything. And again, we just put that out. And Time Warner comes calling, right? Time Warner asks for an intro. Okay, Time Warner. So we get on the call, have a good call. Again, whatever. Wasn't y'all one of the folks that was, oh, we got black and brown. We want to support the creators. We had a good call. And I told him, I said, look, guys, I get it. Y'all, we're, and we were looking for $500,000 to shoot 10 episodes. They could go out to the car and get that. Yes. Right? In the I couch said, cushions. Yeah, I'm like, Time Warner, let's get past the money, right? Let's not even talk about it. I said, what we really need is for y'all to open doors. Use that brand you got to open doors. And I was like, I feel like you guys made some announcements about this type of thing being something you wanted to support. They passed, right? They took the meeting with us. They passed. Oh, well, we feel like we want to do it, but we don't want to do it that way and whatever. And again, good call that they passed. So that's where we're at with it now. Um, again, um, I'm, I'll be in Atlanta next month getting interviewed by one of the uh, former CEOs at Home Depot um, about it. And again, there's so many other interviews and things coming. So people love it. Um, we, again, we're still working to get it funded now. I think we're at the point where I'm just kind of like, let's just do it ourselves. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, let's just do all 10. Let's do it ourselves and just put it out. And the thing is, what we want to do is when it's all done, we want to give it away for free. So that's the thing. We want to put it out for free so everyone can have it. you got an organization, use it. you got a nonprofit, use it, right? Um, I have a nonprofit I'm launching soon, launching soon called Evolve. Like, we're going to use it, right? So OnRamp is going to use it. So I just want people to have access to it so they can give it away. But yeah, that's, that's where we're at. We're learning to money. So thinking about your life before the entire world shut down, as much as you hated flying, you were all over the place, right? Um, So there was a level of social interaction and human connection that pretty much everybody lost uh, once the world really came to a a grinding halt. And one of the recurring things that, that I've seen in conversations that I've been having with people about myself and others is just having, even still being busy, just by virtue of being home, having more time to reflect and have introspective moments about life, where you come from, the journey up into this point, mm. emotions, unresolved emotions. Do you feel like you have engaged in internal work or have felt the gravity of life coming to a standstill in some ways? And by standstill, clearly you progressed. I don't mean things not moving, but I mean literally just the idea of more stillness at this juncture. Um, yes. And, and, and again, even with a lot of movement and things going on in my life, yes. But what I realized is we have a bigger class issue in this country than we have a race issue in this country. We got the race issue out of the way in 2020. We know where everybody stand now. Ooh, this country is racist. And yes. black people don't like white folk. White folk don't like black folk. Republicans don't like Democrats. People who like Cracker Barrel don't like people who go to Waffle House. It's all types of stuff. Everybody picked a corner in 2020. So we know. But what was illuminated to me, again, for, for my life's mission now, for fighting at the people at the bottom, you realize a class issue and caste 
system that we have in this country where if you are at the bottom, you are just forgotten. Again, some of us have had the privilege from Zooming and not having to, you know, the privilege of being able to social distance, not only in the house, but when we go out and, and work and everything else. And I just started to, what, what was illuminated to me was that I am part of that elite crowd that, again, was able to keep a job and do better and make more money and do all of these things. And the the renewed focus to not throw cheap seeds, but dig into expensive soil. So Mm -hmm. I was forced to dig in a lot to make sure that I started to clarify and really work hard for people who were disconnected from the life that a lot of us were living, which was complete privilege and completely elitist. And it it forced me to, again, to count my blessings more than I already had. But I'm like, all right, I have to bring light to this. And I really started to double down on it. No Kid Hungry, the Bowery Mission, Feeding America, you know, the the stuff that you're doing, my nonprofit, right? Evolve, um, again, Learn to Money, some of the other stuff that I was doing, right? Um, You know, the TED Talk that I just gave, I brought it up there. Like all of my platforms now I'm using to speak to this because we have to make sure that we are addressing that. And that's what was illuminated to me, especially moving here, because this isn't real life. San Diego is not real life. <laughs> like I tell the people here all the time, y'all realize this is not real life. Y'all are so far from reality. And I tell you a quick story with that. I moved here and my boy that lives here knows that I'm like, I do all I can for people at the bottom. Like we could spend a whole nother episode on some of the stuff that, that I've, you know, working on and how I've kind of just given my life over to that. And I have a, I got it right here. I have a mask I wear that says cancel poverty. And I wear this mask everywhere. And I walk into a building here in San Diego and a woman goes, cancel poverty. And I could see her reading it. She's mouthing it, cancel poverty. Cancel poverty. So my boy kind of like, he did that thing where he was like, all right, Tyrone, relax. I got this, right? So he's like, yeah, Tyrone, um, you know, does a lot for homeless people. And she goes, poverty? You mean like poor? I said, oh my God, this woman doesn't know what poverty, doesn't know what poverty is. So I said, yes. She goes, oh, and she laughed. She's like, oh, that's cute. I said, woof, it's cute. Okay. And we leave and he goes, I'm telling you right now, he's like, you're going to have such a hard time here because these people aren't, they don't, COVID ain't hit hard here because they order their groceries. They stay in the house. Everything, they don't have to go anywhere. It's great. They stay in the house, they Zoom, they work. So for me, it's just been, again, it, it slowed down enough for me to, to realize either I could be a part of the problem or a really big part of the solution and really addressing the inequities, not inequality, inequities, equal opportunity at the same things, the inequities in this country. I need to start helping and using my privilege to speak to those. So I think that's what it illuminated most for me, especially going from one elite coast to the most elite coast, right? Like you just realize you fly over all of that, right? Middle America and everything else right here um, to where there's gross riches and abundance and just realizing, all right, we got a lot of work to do. And I've been to San Diego. It really is idyllic. Like it's like the air is cleaner. I'm I'm like, is the sun shining all the time? Like, what's really going on here? People do live a different life there. Oh, yeah, for sure. As I sit here and talk to you now, I have front door open, back door open, like this breeze, palm trees, like it's all the time. But not only that, it's just, it it is so many different 
things like the the uh, the gross amount of wealth and the 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 ability to literally buy isolation like literally these people's kids didn't miss school they had the pods and they put together and they bought teachers like real life like one of my friends he literally showed me right when covid happened or whatever and iPads and iPods and everything delivered to the house for the kids, <laughs> delivered to the house, to school, right? And then some kids can't even get Wi-Fi at home and, and standing outside of a Burger King and all that. So it's just, the, the privilege here is ridiculously gross, but yeah, beautiful. The sunshine tax, they call it, right? It's 75 and sunny. Any day you want to come, it never changes. It's a beautiful place to live. Don't get me wrong. And the quality of life is amazing but it's easy to get into this bubble and act like, like this is normal and it's not. And that's the beautiful thing about growing up in New Jersey is you can drive five minutes in New Jersey and go from ridiculous wealth to wait a minute. I shouldn't have come this way. Yes. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like, let me go back the other way. So, and, and we're, you know, especially in Middlesex County right on top of each other and the cultural differences, but here it's just California. So massive. And San Diego is, is its own bubble. It's, it's just so many people, again, they can just completely isolate. And anywhere, you can isolate yourself if you have the means. And I think that's what happened during COVID. So a lot of what people were going through, people just, oh, so new. Oh, that's horrible. These people getting evicted is horrible. It's just horrible. So, you know, I, I just wanted to help with that. But that's what really I, I reflected on most. And again, we spoke about it in the first podcast, how I grew up. So I, I know a lot of people are experiencing that same thing now. So my goal is just to not make sure children have to go through what I went through and what my parents went through. So that's really the mission now. And let me just say, you've been walking this walk because if people listen to the show regularly, they know that DeMarcus and I launched this nonprofit uh, and formally in 2019, formed it in 2018. And we were preparing for our first huge back to school bash. Did not know how we were going to raise all the money. And I remember um, I was, again, walking down the street in New York and you hit me up over text and you're like, yeah, so I'm just going to tweet that I want people to donate to the host of fun for my birthday. Right. And so I was like, that's great. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. And I remember you sent that tweet out and it was there were people literally from coast to coast, who we did not know, who were giving off the strength of you just saying, give to this organization for my birthday. Yeah. So, you know, so of course we've said thank you to you before, but, you know, thank you for really rallying behind the, the cause the first year. And then, you know, last year we were like, we don't know what we're going to do is COVID and then supporting us then with resources as well uh, and pubbing the work that we're doing. We just, we appreciate um, that you're you're committed to this in a way where it's not just about your own initiatives, but partnering with others and making sure that that we get the resources as well. Of course. Well, I, again, I I can't let this opportunity pass. And again, I knew we would get to this at some point without thanking you. Um, it's funny. The more I think about how my life has evolved and everything that has happened, there's there's this phrase I'm using now: space and grace. Right. Mm. And, and giving people that. So rare is the opportunity to give in a way that you received right to the and sometimes you give and you get it back in different ways. And but directly to the person that poured so much into your life and you didn't know what you were doing that day, but you and DeMarcus and, and just the opportunity 
that again was it came from a higher power it wasn't us but i'm incredibly grateful um not only to the opportunity that you gave me but what it meant for my family and when when good things happen to my family because of things that people do for me that's a really good way to get me emotional cuz my my parents gave it up as all parents did for my sister and i but because of that podcast and everything that has come from it it has unlocked so many blessings my parents will never have to worry about money again and that is the best thing ever they'll never have to worry about money nobody in my family will so long as i breathe air and a lot of that has to do because again you gave me a platform to come broken with all my pieces in my hand and say what do i do with these right and you didn't force an answer you just said, well just tell me about it right so i'm i'm eternally grateful for you for your brother for giving me the space for giving me the grace and continuing to amplify everything that has happened and i will put the bow tie on this by saying it's been incredible to watch y'all journey from afar right and and see how it's evolved and all your graphics now and all. i i i text you a couple of times i'm jealous I'm like, can I get a redo? <laughs> like, okay, yeah. So let's let's make this clear. Like, yeah, let's make this clear. Tyrone was really feeling away. All right. I I can't when run. we started adding video and everything else. <laughs> I was a little emotional. I'm like, what is going on here? I'm like, geez, they, you know, panoramic views and multiple, like, I'm like, what is this? But no, I, I'm just, again, overjoyed for you, incredibly excited. And again, just in, we've stayed in, you know, some close contact and just how you've grown personally. So just excited for you both to see it. And, and this has just been so cool to come back and look at that journey since that time. My life has literally been turned upside down. So I was looking forward to this, but I'm grateful for you, Queen, and all that you do. Your brother, I know, he's somewhere editing or sleeping over a computer or something. So DeMarcus, I love you, King. Appreciate you. Um, and the whole family, just, just grateful for y'all. Likewise. And we've been asking everyone in these check-ins this question. So I'm going to ask you as well. We reach some form of herd immunity. Everybody gets vaccinated or a large majority of the population gets vaccinated and the world is open back up. What's the first thing you're doing? Oh, man. Uh, I don't know. I would say go to Waffle House, but I've done that. Uh, you knew it was coming. Um, man, I don't know. I really don't know. I probably some type of concert. I want to see Kendrick Lamar in concert. So hopefully he puts out another uh another album and go see. I, I started to get into like the whole not concert, I should say festival. I'm gonna go to a festival. And I first time I saw Kendrick Lamar was at a festival and it was life-changing. I mean, it was an incredible performance. So yeah, I would go back to a festival and, and see Kendrick perform. I think you've maintained your record of bringing up the Waffle House at least <laughs> once in every conversation we've had. So, okay. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> to those who don't know, Tyrone has an unhealthy obsession with the Waffle House. Dude, they follow me now, by the way. They follow me. Yeah, so I'm, I'm official Waffle House family. So, you know. I cannot. If you want to hook up one all-star special, get at me. What is the hookup? I mean, it's already like just a couple of dollars. So... <laughs> I don't know. You get an extra sweet tea. I don't know. I don't know. Understood. <laughs> anyway, where can people find you online? Um, here's what I've been saying. I'm I'm easy to find online. All I would say is this: if you made it to this point, please nokidhungry.org. Please help me feed a hungry child. The fact that children go to bed hungry in this country is an absolute disgusting travesty that we can fix. Nokidhungry.org. Help feed a hungry child, and you'll find me at some point. Just 
put my name in somewhere, it'll show up. But feeding hungry children are more important. Absolutely. So to our listeners, you know what to do. You know how we feel about philanthropy on the show. Support the cause. No kid hungry. Also, if you Google, just look up December 26th. You don't even have to put in Tyrone Ross Jr. You can put in just Tyrone <laughs> on December 26th. I promise you it's going to come up and it's going to be links everywhere. Check out his original episode. And there is a part two. I will let you find that on your own because the way the conversation shifted oh, man. That in that so part left. two. That so left. I will leave it to our listeners to uh, find that on their own. But check so it out. For the work that he's doing, I guarantee you that this is not the last of our paths crossing. crossing. There are many things that we will probably do uh, together in the future. But in the meantime, like, share, subscribe, comment, tell somebody about this episode if you enjoyed it. And as always, remember to be extraordinary on an ordinary day. Take care. Thank you for listening to the December 26th podcast. I am your host, Delisha. This episode was produced by Demarcus Adisa and music was provided by Tovo. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at December 26th. That's December 26ER.